<笑>鬼岛之音 ，Ghost Island Media。People have been asking whether we're going to talk about more positive stories and what companies are doing to fix environmental problems. In previous episodes, we've talked about how Starbucks has been banning straws in their restaurants and how companies like Gogoro are creating electric vehicles. And we wanted to talk more about that. So today, instead of talking about just one company, we're going to talk about a global campaign of what is now more than 186 companies that are committing to 100% renewable electricity. This campaign is called RE100. The RE100 campaign, where companies commit to using 100% renewable electricity, is run by the Climate Group. There are even sister campaigns to RE100, EV100, 100% electric vehicles, and EP100, which is 100% energy productivity, which is a bit of a different framing, but the same concept. This is not just some campaign by green groups. There are really serious and large companies a part of RE100. You might even have a few of them on your desk or inside your desktop. 3M, Adobe, Apple, Facebook, Google. You might go to Walmart later. Yep, they've committed to RE100. And you might Google about this campaign, and they too have committed to RE100. Having a drink later, if it's Carlsberg, Coca-Cola, or Starbucks. They're a part of RE100 also, and where do you put your money? It might be somewhat green money because Bank of America and Goldman Sachs, Citibank are also all RE100 members. The financial sector actually makes up a very large percentage of the companies. There are around 40 in the banking industry alone. Altogether, these companies' total renewable electricity demand is approximately 200 terawatt hours per year, and that's slightly larger than the demand for Thailand. That's enormous. That's changing the way that we build renewable electricity. That's increasing demand, and that is going to increase investment. On today's episode, we're going to talk with Sam Kimmins, the head of RE100. Sam has 20 years of experience leading sustainability projects from shipping, aviation, food, construction, and inside NGO sectors. We are very lucky to have him today in Taipei, as he was in Taiwan for a conference on renewable electricity certificates. The way I look at this is that there are the old school, the people who are used to the old system. They're used to maintaining things. They're not really used to thinking about the new models, and they're thinking, "Hmm, this is difficult." But you have the IT companies, you have the innovators, and the you know the Elon Musks of this world who are going, "How might we?" And that's how we are going to innovate our way to a fully renewable grid. Hi, I'm Nature Nate, and this is Waste Not Why Not, a podcast on how not to save the environment. I'm an environmental researcher based in Taiwan, and I help Taiwanese companies commit to 100% renewable electricity. Summer is here. It's time for a vacation. Maybe you live in Taiwan, or are looking to travel to Taiwan. And you know what they say: planning is half the fun, right? I love looking at logistics and going through 20 pages of Airbnb and sorting through the top 10 lists of the top 10 lists of where to go. Exciting, right? No, you just don't have the time. So look for a One Taiwan W A N Taiwan for a handpicked, customized itinerary for you in English. Here's what you do: you tell them what you're looking for, they give you a set of recommendations, you decide on the recommendations because you trust them, and they do the rest. Booking and confirming everything. All you need to do is show up for your trip. 
One Taiwan, WAN Taiwan is offering 10% off for Waste Not Why Not listeners with the code Waste Not. So that's WANTaiwanTravel.com. Again, WANTaiwanTravel.com and the code Waste Not. All right. Hi, Sam. Thanks for coming in. Hi, Nate. Thank you. Who are you and why are you here? So thanks, Nate. Yeah, my name's Sam Kimmins. I'm uh, the head of RE100 with the Climate Group. The Climate Group is a UK-based NGO with offices in Delhi and New York. The RE100 stands for Renewable Electricity 100. What that means, it's a group of companies who have committed to buying all of their electricity from renewable sources for their entire global operations. So would we know any of these RE100 companies? Uh, you certainly would. So there are the um, the well-known brands, uh, Next Clothing, Barclays Bank, HSBC Bank, Google, Facebook, um, Apple, some of the biggest companies in the world, Lego. We're sat here drinking Starbucks coffee. Starbucks is a an RE100 member. The movement is growing so large that I can walk around uh, cities and just play RE100 bingo. Oh, there's this, you know, just walking around um, Taipei, there's, uh, there's Citigroup, there's Starbucks. I was in, um, in Seoul last week and a big WeWork sign, WeWork are an RE100 member. Um, it's particularly exciting in London where you can't walk for more than uh, 50 metres down Oxford Street without seeing another um, RE100 brand. Burberry, H&M, Next. So it really is growing enormously and a lot of very well-known names. Is there a particular place where you could win RE100 bingo? Is there like a, <laughs> is there like a, an area where there's just so many RE100 companies? It's weird if you're not. So in London, if you're sat in one of the towers in Canary Wharf, Canary Wharf itself is an RE100 member, the landlord of the entire area. Um, and most of the banks in Canary Wharf, Barclays Bank, HSBC, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, all RE100 members. It's actually quite hard to find a company that isn't RE100 within that, that group. It must be awkward to be that last <laughs> That is becoming an interesting situation within certain sectors, particularly the finance sector. It's not a case of who's going to be first, it's who's not going to be last. So have you guys quantified the carbon or the environmental benefit of this transition to all renewable electricity? Yeah, so corporate demand represents around 70% of, uh, well, between 15 and 70% of global electricity demand, depending on how you calculate it. So if every company in the world went RE100, clearly that would be a huge impact. Having some of the world's largest companies committing to 100% renewable electricity sends an incredibly strong market signal to utilities, to governments, to renewable energy providers to say, look, this is the future. This is the way companies are wanting to power their businesses and they're moving away from coal. They're not going to buy coal-fired power. They're not going to buy gas-fired power. They want renewables. That's what creates the change at scale. That's excellent to hear, Sam. Is, has anything changed since you've started working at RE100? I mean, I guess that's kind of a vague question, but what kind of benefits or improvements have you seen uh, since you started working there? So the change that we've seen has been quite profound. RE100 has grown from zero companies in, uh, in 2014 to 186. That's a significant change in the dialogue around renewable electricity. It's no longer seen as something that governments are pushing on customers. It's something that customers are demanding. And that is a really important change. 
We're also seeing the companies putting their money where their mouths are. They're not just making this commitment vaguely saying, oh, at some point by you know 2050, we will achieve 100% renewable electricity. A significant proportion, around a third of the companies in RE100, have achieved up to 95% of their electricity demand using renewables. So real huge investment in renewable electricity. To give an example of the, the scale of this, Bloomberg New Energy Finance calculated that RE100 companies represent a $93 billion investment opportunity in renewable electricity. Wow. Like it's a wow. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. and is this where is this happening regionally? You know, I I've I've heard some of the companies online, Apple, Lego, is this do you do you have numbers of kind of where maybe I guess where they're headquartered because I know a lot of them are multinational companies yeah. that have joined. It's actually began in Europe with IKEA. IKEA are our founder member along with Swiss Re. IKEA are a really uh, fantastic company. They own more wind turbines than they do stores. But overall, the, the movement started in Europe and the US, and particularly actually with the uh, alongside IKEA with the IT companies Google, Facebook, Adobe, and others who basically were, were identifying that data centers are one of the biggest growth areas in electricity demand, and they wanted to do that. They wanted to power those data centers with clean energy rather than dirty energy. So it started in the US and Europe. There's been enormous growth. The, the purchases of renewable electricity have actually been the, the greatest in the US and uh, you know the direct purchases by companies. But this is rapidly moving east. So uh, companies in India, companies in Japan, there are currently 20 major companies in Japan, including Fujifilm, Sony, Ricoh. And their largest retailer, Aon, 20 companies have committed to RE100 in Japan, three in Taiwan. And those European and American companies are also starting to focus on their operations in uh, in the east uh, and down in the southern hemisphere. So it really is becoming a, a global phenomenon. And how how does a company buy renewable electricity or do you have to set up a wind turbine on site? Is that how does it count? There are a number of ways of doing it. Uh, my favourite fact, which may come again in this <laughs> podcast, is that IKEA own more wind turbines than they do stores, and mm. a number of um, a number of companies have rooftop solar installations. They have wind farms near their premises. But the renewable energy market is a very sophisticated beast and there are complex and robust accounting mechanisms so that you can buy wind power from a wind farm that is you know, 100 miles away and you can get a certificate that demonstrates that you're actually buying that power. And what this movement is doing is actually directly funding developments of renewable electricity. So, for example, Nestle um, has a, a wind farm in the north of Scotland. And they directly buy their power from that wind farm, which helped to enable that wind farm to be built. And in turn, they achieve 100% renewable electricity for their UK operations. So that theory of change is basically you're a renewable energy developer. A large corporate says we will buy up all or a significant percentage of your power for the next 
however many years. Yeah. And that sends a strong signal. That, in a nutshell, that's, what, uh, that's one of the methods of buying renewable electricity. That's called a power purchase agreement. And it's increasingly popular around the world. It's becoming an increasingly popular market mechanism. Um, is there a particular mechanism that companies tend to employ? Is, there, is, there, like, is the PPA the most used? There are a number of different ways, and uh, buying certificates, which is basically called unbundled certificates. So with each unit of renewable electricity, there comes a certificate. Now, some people sell those certificates to other companies that want to buy the renewable attribute. Now, that's useful if you're in, for example, uh, a retail store. So H&M and Burberry are both RE100 members, and they have a very distributed demand. And it's useful for them if they have one store in a country, it's useful to buy those certificates because the scale doesn't allow you to tap into a a wind farm. But increasingly companies are looking for ways that they can directly see the renewable energy source. There's a tangible link between them and their their renewable electricity source. You can say, that's our wind farm. They're they're the solar panels on our roof. So power purchase agreements and self-generation are getting more popular with companies because it sends a really strong signal. Okay, so so far we've talked about wind and solar. What are some of the other types of renewable energy that count? Um, you know, in, in some ways, garbage is kind of a renewable energy, right? I mean, we keep producing more garbage. <laughs> does, yeah. does that count? So technically, you know, um, garbage is not a, a renewable source because, of course, it's not a closed loop. Um, it's a very inefficient way of using so-called waste materials. And uh, I know that here in Taiwan, there is a very strong circular economy drive. And so burning the waste actually takes that resource out of circulation, out of the circular economy. But um, the source of renewable energy wouldn't, I don't think will be surprising to anybody, primarily uh, wind, solar and hydro. But there is also renewable gas uh, from landfill and and biogas and other sources. There's biofuel. Uh, We insist on on sustainable biofuel as a a source to count towards that. And emerging technologies, wave power, tidal power, uh, ocean current power. So there's enormous innovation going on to, to expand the portfolio of sources of renewables. And is there a place where all these companies meet up? Do you, have, do you have an annual event? Is there something that you know our listeners can follow? Yeah, so um, uh, the Climate Group runs an annual event uh, called Climate Week um, in New York. That's happening the week of the 23rd of September. And that brings together government leaders. It brings together corporate leaders uh, from some of the world's biggest companies, some of the world's most influential leaders to bring, bring together their commitments to uh, climate action. And during that week, we have our RE100 members meeting. The challenge we have this year is we are going to need a bigger room due to the growth of of RE100. But that is a really great problem to have. And we're really looking forward to seeing the members at that meeting. In Europe, we also uh, run the resource meeting in Europe, which brings together renewable electricity buyers and sellers to create uh, one of the world's biggest marketplaces for corporate renewables. So exciting times, very rapid development, and we're looking to actually um, expand that model around the world. So Sam, what's one thing someone may not realize about the RE100 campaign? There are many things that are surprising about the RE100 campaign. When we set it up, our vision was, well, companies will commit. That sends a, a market signal. Great job done. 
But actually, the campaign is evolving incredibly fast and the world is changing incredibly fast. And one of those changes that has happened is the drop in price of renewable electricity has been unprecedented. So since uh, 2010, the cost of solar has dropped by around 85% on average globally. Uh, The cost of wind energy has dropped by around 49%, according to uh, Bloomberg New Energy Finance. And this makes it not just uh, an attractive proposition in terms of doing the right thing and managing carbon emissions, it's also the right thing to do from a business case. So if you want to save money on your electricity, uh, a good example in India, renewable electricity from solar can be secured for around uh, four cents per kilowatt hour, four dollar cents per kilowatt hour, whereas electricity from coal around five cents per kilowatt hour. So there is a a 20% proximate cost saving. Obviously, it depends on the deals that people are able to do. But um, this compares to around uh, eight, nine years ago, where the cost of renewables was seven times that of coal. So things are changing incredibly fast. And that's surprising even to us in the campaign. So the cost of renewables keeps declining. Have companies seen any other kind of financial benefits? Is there any sort of performance boost if you join RE100? <laughs> so we, we actually had some, um, we had some uh, data analysis done by Capgemini, a French consultancy, and they analyzed the financial performance of, of RE100 companies on their net profit and uh, a measure called EBIT, which is the uh, uh, a measure of financial performance. And in every sector, RE100 companies outperformed their peers on their net profit margin and EBIT. Now, I hasten to clarify, this is not saying that they, this is because they're saving massive amounts of money buying, buying renewables. So that data will be coming in a couple of years' time when the markets start to mature and companies start to report the longer-term savings. But what this shows is that these are well-run companies. These aren't the sort of fly night just doing it for CSR reasons. These are industrial giants and business giants with very, very well-run businesses. And the data demonstrates that these are the best-performing businesses who are choosing to go renewable. Okay. And, and so just to put on my sceptical hat, let's say you commit to RE100 and you, you don't make that goal. Is there some kind of penalty? What, what happens? Does Sam go to their office and give <laughs> Stern talking to? Well, we haven't had that happen to date. We're actually, the surprise has been the other way around, is how rapidly companies are able to achieve their RE100 targets. And some big names are rapidly getting uh, achieving or getting towards achieving RE100. Now, this is a, it's an ongoing challenge because, you know, companies like Google are expanding rapidly. Apple is expanding rapidly. So you can achieve RE100 one year. They can't just sit back and go, job done. They need to keep buying new renewables to to keep up the pace of growth of their businesses. So this is an ongoing challenge. Uh, so the Climate Group tracks the progress of RE100 through data collected through CDP's data collection system. The RE100 companies are required to report every year their progress towards that RE100 target. Uh, So actually the first level of accountability is that public scrutiny. They're announcing publicly, you know, we've achieved 7% or 10% or 95%, um, 99% of our target. And is that that data that anyone can access? Can I go on re100.com? Absolutely. So if you look at re100.org, 
We have an annual disclosure report. We also have the list of all the companies um, at the re100.org site and also the climategroup.org with also news reports, etc. about what those companies are doing. Great. We're going to take a short break here. When we come back, Sam talks about why Budweiser is actually green beer and how IKEA started this global movement. He's also going to talk about what governments and utilities are doing to change the marketplace for renewable electricity. Hey guys, Emily Waiwu here, producer of Waste Not, Why Not? I hope you're enjoying this conversation. It was really cool to have Sam in Taiwan and inside our studio. We want to talk to more interesting people like Sam Kimmins from RU100 and Daniel Vickery from Gogoro. You can help us out by donating to us. We are at patreon.com slash waste not why not. Okay, back to Nature Nate. Welcome back. We've been talking to Sam Kimmins, the head of RE100, a global campaign to help companies commit to 100% renewable electricity. Together, they've signed 186 companies to date, which might actually be wrong by the time you're listening to this, and there is no stopping insight. The campaign is full of surprises. It's a relatively simple concept, going to 100%. But within that, if you unpack that, there's a whole um, variety of really interesting stories. So I don't know if you've seen the uh, the Super Bowl adverts that were put out by um, AB and Bev, the brewery. So um, AB and Bev are the brewers of Budweiser. Uh, one in four beers drunk around the world is brewed by an AB and Bev brewery. They're absolutely enormous brewery. They've committed to 100% renewable for their global operations by 2025. And they're progressing really rapidly. And they announced last year that they'd achieved 100% renewable equivalent to their Budweiser brewing in the US. Budweiser is green beer. Budweiser is green beer. (laughs) And they chose to tell the world about this um, during the Super Bowl with their Winters Never Felt So Good campaign. And the reason they did that is they're rightly proud of that great achievement, but they also found that it has great public resonance. People care about this. And so they wanted to tell people we're doing this. And subsequently, Budweiser has become 100% renewable in the UK thanks to unsubsidised solar power. Solar power in the UK. Unsubsidised solar power in the UK. Done on business case grounds, not just an environmental showpiece. So this is really serious stuff. The UK is not renowned for its sunshine. I'm I'm here with a very pale, untanned face. Um, Solar power works. Wow. Um, What is... The origin story for RE100, if you will, what was the what was the impetus behind creating this campaign? Yeah, I think the most interesting thing about RE100 is the hundred percent element to it. Historically, we've tend to go for you know thirty three point seven four percent, or what do we think we can do? What can we see a roadmap to, and then get to that point and then go, okay, what next? So that incrementalism has been the curse of the environmental movement for a long time. 100%, the origin of the 100% commitment was actually Steve Howard, who was the Chief Sustainability Officer of IKEA, who was one of the founders of RE100 along with Swiss Re. And uh, Steve, my, one of my favourite uh, quotes from here is that 100% leaves no room for doubt. If your organisation sets a 50% target, then 
a lot more than 50% of that organization thinks it's nothing to do with them. And you focus on the barriers, okay, we're nearly at, 100%, nearly at 50%, nah, we're, okay, job done. With 100%, there is no room for doubt. The entire organization behind it, you have to have the chief financial officer, you have to have the chief executive behind that commitment. I was recently in India, and IT company, Indian IT company Infosys, who have recently, uh, recently achieved 47% renewable in India. Um, they said, well, look, we, if we hadn't set a 100% target, we wouldn't be anywhere near where we are now. It's only by setting that absolute 100%, no doubt goal, that people are really pushing forward and achieving things. The other power of 100% is it makes other stakeholders sit up and take notice. So customers sit up and take notice. Governments sit up and take notice. Our, our Japanese members are meeting with Japanese ministers to say, look, we want to buy 100% renewable electricity. And this is a in a country where in Japan, it's extremely difficult to buy renewables. You know, at the moment, five, five, six, seven percent is challenging. What these companies are saying is, we mean business. We really, really mean business. And we want the market to change to allow us to buy renewable electricity. And one of the great ironies in, uh, in you know, Japan and Korea, um, also Taiwan, is uh, some of the best solar products in the world are made in, in those countries. But um, with the exception of Taiwan, it's currently rather difficult for companies to buy the electricity cheaply from those that's made using those solar panels in the country in which they're made. Whereas those same solar panels being used in the UK, in Spain, in the US, are actually generating electricity at very low cost. It's all down to the market design. Wait, so you're you were saying just you said quickly there, you know, it, it's easier to buy renewable electricity in Taiwan than it is because <laughs> that, yeah. Taiwan has such a low amount of renewables that 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 would be surprising to me that it's easier to buy them. There just aren't that many yet. Yeah. So things are changing rapidly. I mean, uh, two companies, um, Google, who recently signed, signed a power purchase agreement for 10 megawatts of, of solar and TCI. Uh, a beauty products company based in Taiwan recently uh, signed an MOU for a, a power purchase agreement of, of renewable electricity. So this is due to recent changes in, in legislation. Now this is a it's a long pathway. There are more changes are needed. There's more evolution of the market will happen. But Taiwan has certainly decided to take uh, a leadership position in Asia, and it's really exciting to see. So Taiwan, not quite number one yet, but <laughs> maybe in a few years. Yeah, and it's difficult. To, yeah, the, the ranking of, of countries is difficult, of course, because it's a very complex situation. Countries are starting from very different baselines and very different situations. And the, the, the entire world is currently looking at transitioning from a coal-based and gas-based centralized energy system model to a more distributed renewable energy system that needs to account for variability, storage, etc., etc. Um, I wouldn't ever pretend that this is easy, but by working together, governments and business are really accelerating that change. And how does RE100 help accelerate that change? I guess, does, does RE100 provide advice to companies or is it more of a community manager sort of role? So primarily, RE100 is a message aggregator. We bring together all of those companies and we focus their efforts where it really matters. So it's an incredibly powerful story to be able to say that 
there are 200 terawatt hours of electricity committed to 100% renewable electricity, and that's growing by a significant percentage each year. We also provide uh, technical advice. So we're working with a number of organisations internationally. In Europe, we've set up the Resource Coalition with Wind Europe, Solar Power Europe and WBCSD to actually generate the market for renewable electricity, bring bring buyers and sellers together, provide training, provide standardised contracts, etc., to really oil the wheels of the, the new market. And we're replicating that model internationally, still early days, but working with um, BCSD and SEER in Taiwan, an organisation called JCLP in Japan. Um, we have a, a hub with Do Something in Australia. So really expanding, but using local expertise, local help and local knowledge to really help those companies go further faster. Great. And... Um... So you you work with all these companies, you work with 186 as of this week. Are there any common obstacles that they face uh, across different geographies? The first obstacle is market design. So as, as I mentioned earlier, the markets are designed for the old coal system. Uh, it's only in a... Well, uh, rapidly rapidly changing. Uh, I wouldn't want to quote a number of how many markets are actually ready, but it's an increasing number of European markets, US uh, state markets, Indian state markets, etc., etc., are changing their business model, changing the, the market model to enable purchases of renewable electricity. So that's rapidly changing. So policy is a barrier in some in, uh, markets or a barrier in some countries. Expertise is also a, a challenge. You know, historically, companies would just go to a broker and say, please can have the cheapest electricity available. Thank you very much. And this is a new way of buying electricity. It's, um, it's not guaranteed that a company will get the cheapest price. It takes, it takes practice. It takes expertise. And this is where RE100 companies are gaining the edge on their comp- competitors. One thing that is not a barrier... We, I would say, is the cost of renewable electricity. It's no longer the case that renewables are an expensive luxury. In over 50 countries around the world, according to IRENA, the International Renewable Energy Agency, in over 50 countries around the world, renewables are cheaper than coal, and they're starting to compete with gas. A good example of this, NIPSCO, the North Indiana, North Indiana Power Company, a US utility. Now, Indiana is not renowned for its renewable ambition. Um, NIPSCO undertook a study to look at what was the lowest cost way of providing electricity to the people of Indiana over the next 10 years. And uh, in eight scenarios, the cheapest scenario was close all the coal-fired power stations and replace them with renewable sources. That was the cheapest. This wasn't on carbon grounds. This was on purely economic grounds. And that came as a surprise. But now that utility is actually changing its entire business model. It's changing its business and replacing coal quite rapidly. Um, 80% of their coal fleet will be decommissioned by 2023. That's the plan. The rest by 2029 and replaced with renewables. So uh, this is an economic case, not just an environmental case. That's... That's surprising. In Taiwan, renewables are still a little bit more expensive, but it's encouraging to hear that it's it's now cheaper in many areas. And it's encouraging also that the U.S. is going through this renewables transition, let's just say given a, a difficult policy environment. Yeah, there's a lot of leadership at state level. So California, um, Washington and Hawaii have committed to 100% 
renewable electricity. I, think, I believe New York um, either has or is in the process of doing it. A number of states have committed to 100%. But they can't join the campaign, right? No, no, no. This is a, a corporate campaign. Okay. So the states are just doing it to show leadership, maybe because some companies there are also doing it. Um, they're doing it because they know this is the future. They want to prepare their electricity grids for the future. Now, to give an example of, of actually what, another dynamic that's happening is that companies, while they don't have to as part of RE100, they are asking their supply chains to use renewable electricity. Now, this is having a profound impact. So companies like Apple, who have so far worked with 44 of their suppliers to, who have agreed to provide Apple products using 100% renewable electricity. Companies like BT, IKEA, and a number of other very, very large buyers of products from places like Japan, Korea, Taiwan, India, etc., etc., are insisting on 100% renewable electricity for their products. So this is actually having profound impacts, not just on the business case for those companies internationally to to sell their products, but also the countries in which they operate. Um, I was in Korea um, last week and companies are actually quite nervous that due to the lack of accessibility of renewable electricity in Korea, they may have difficulty, they may be at a competitive disadvantage to companies in other countries when trying to sell their products to RE100 companies, CDP supply chain companies and others who are asking for these uh, ambitious targets. So these are sort of maybe potentially good tariffs, green tariffs we might see in the future. <laughs> well, they, I, I would describe these as, you know, these have been described as non-tariff barriers, but if you look at it in the same way as health and safety, you would never buy from a company with a terrible health and safety record. It will be bad for your reputation. Ultimately, it will be bad for the, co- for the company that you're buying from. Renewables are a win-win-win. In a fair market, they are cheaper than coal, uh, cheaper than standard electricity. Therefore, the company buying them can save money. Um, by buying renewable electricity, companies are investing in growing that country's renewable energy stock. So it's a win-win. So rather than looking at it as a barrier, I would say that this is a huge opportunity. You know, these these large international companies aren't bullying uh, companies into doing this. They're working with them. They're working hand in hand, helping to train them, helping to um, work out how the market can change. Working with the governments to work out what the most where the opportunities are to increase renewables. So this is an opportunity to develop the grids that are fit for the twenty first century. That's great. Um, you start talking about commitments to 100% renewables, like the idea of California or Hawaii running on 100% renewables. And yeah. a lot of people, sometimes they're engineers, sometimes they're technical people, start to say, hang on, how do you have a grid on 100% renewables? Solar during the day, wind when it's windy, how do you get consistent electricity? You know, in Taiwan, how do you get consistent air conditioning if you have intermittent renewables? What would you say to someone who, who maybe pushes back against 100% renewables? in that way so well first of all there's a difference between variability so wind solar are variable and very predictably variable we know when it's going to get dark it happens every every night we know we we know what the weather's doing we have extremely good weather prediction weather prediction software we, we, we're very good at it we've had over 100 years of doing it as opposed to 
very, uh, as opposed to intermittent supply. Now, n- nuclear power stations are offline around 25% of the time for maintenance and, and sorting. Um, in Australia at the moment, they're having blackouts because the old coal, uh, coal-fired power stations have to be shut down with very sh- well, no, little or no notice um, because of maintenance issues. So the idea that the variability of renewables is unique or somehow more problematic is, is a bit of a myth. Um, having said that, there are technical challenges. We are going to need to enhance storage. We're going to need to improve the diversity of, of renewables to ensure that the lights stay on, to ensure that data centres don't shut down, etc., etc. That surety of supply is incredibly important. And what's fantastic is we're seeing an enormous amount of innovation, not just from the power companies, but from the IT companies, people like Intel. Philips Lighting and others who are developing demand response systems where when you get the peaks, certain bits of equipment power down for a few seconds or a few minutes and then power up other times. We're seeing incredible advances in storage technology. So um, as well as the decreases in cost of renewable energy sources, we've seen an 85% decrease in the cost of batteries, lithium ion batteries over the past um, nine years. So really significant changes. I think the way I look at this is that, you know, when we were looking at nuclear power early in the middle of the last century, there were people who went, we can't, and there were the people who went, how might we? We're seeing a similar situation now. There are the old school, the people who are used to the old system, they're used to just maintaining things, they're not really used to thinking about the new models, and they're thinking, hmm, this is difficult. But you have the IT companies, you have the innovators, the the and the you know the Elon Musk's of this world who are going. How might we? And that's how we are going to innovate our way to a fully renewable grid. Um, that was great. Thank you very much, Sam. This was a really great and engaging talk. I we've we've talked before, but even just now, I was I was still learning new things and and thinking about things in a different way. Thank you for making the time on your trip to come to Taiwan. Looking forward to uh, to more things ahead. Thank you very much, Nate, and I look forward to my next visit to Taiwan. <laughs> Come on back. We'll, we'll climb a mountain. <laughs> I'm Nature Nate, and this has been the Waste Not, Why Not podcast, recorded in a beautiful recording studio in Taipei, Taiwan, provided by a good friend. You know who you are. Do you have questions for us? Email your voice recording to ask at wastenotwhynot.com. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Give us a good rating. We are Waste Not Why Not on Patreon and Facebook, and Waste Not Pod on Twitter and Instagram. This has been a Ghost Island Media production, recorded on a Yeti microphone provided by Blue. This episode was produced by Emily Lai Wu and written by me, Nature Nate. Original theme song by Chris Lowe. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.